0: This morning, we want to take time to continue our series, Reconnect. And really, we've been focusing on reconnecting with God first and foremost. Uh, But today, I want us to shift gears a little bit and talk about reconnecting with others. That in that reconnection with others, we might open up channels in our life to receive the blessings that God wants us to experience in our connection with Him. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to another famous, I told you it would be five famous passages, another famous passage about a famous individual, Genesis chapter 45, and we'll look at everything between chapters 37 and 50 really, but chapter 45, let's stand as we open the Word of God together. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. We'll begin with verse 1 of chapter 45, and then we'll set it within the context of the last one-third of this, this great book of beginnings, Genesis. It says here, uh, this is when Joseph's brothers had come before him and they didn't realize who they were standing before. They perhaps assumed their brother had been dead for a long time because they had sold him into slavery. And here he is, the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in uh, in front of all his attendants. So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living. But his brothers were too terrified to answer him. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please, come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said. The one you sold into Egypt. And now, don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Father, we thank You that You work Through us, but we thank You that You work in spite of us. That You're putting together Your perfect plan in our lives. I pray that we would grow in grace and be yielded to that perfect plan. Teach us by Your Spirit in Your Word this morning how to be yielded to the work You're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Titled this message, Crazy Dysfunctional Family Reunion. I just couldn't think of anything else that fit it, quite honestly. Crazy Dysfunctional Family Reunion. Anybody ever been to a crazy dysfunctional family reunion? (laughs) Anybody like, that's me, we're a crazy dysfunctional family. Let me uh, give you some pictures here. We've looked at some pictures over the past few weeks. We looked at various dynasties, and then last week uh, we looked um, at... The, um, as it eludes me at the moment, but we looked at various pictures in the past few weeks. We're going to look at some more pictures today. Um, this morning, we're going to start with these families. And I want to ask you to shout out who this family is right away Waltons. I'd say that was about a 95% there. Most of you knew the Waltons. Who's this? The Cleavers. All right. Now, let's go back to the Cleavers. Let's go back to the. I didn't hear many people guess Cleavers. Anybody not know who the Cleavers are? Okay, a few, <laughs> a few young people. All right, well, let's go to the next one is the, the Dukes. And then the next one? Okay, yeah, the Keatons. Yeah, thank you. Who, who was that fa- family? Ties. Michael T. Fox's family. What, what, who were they called? The Keatons. All right, Alex B. Keaton and the rest of the family. The next one? All right, the Bundys. You weren't supposed to watch that show, but yeah, the Bundys. <laughs> and the next one. All right, the Bradys or the Brady Bunch, and then the Hex. How many know who the Hex are? Okay, I have to make a confession. My family watches the Middle. We watch the Hex. It's not very spiritual. Uh, although they can be found driving around in the church van from time to time, and they get free pizzas when they do. Um, <laughs> but, but we watch it just so that in any of those moments we think we're pretty dysfunctional, we're like, let's watch the hex. We'll feel better about our own family <laughs> as a result of that. So I want you to think for a moment of those we just looked at, and I want you to think, which one of those families does your family resemble the most? You say our family is more like the, and just think about it for a moment. We're going to go back through this slideshow, and, and and you just kind of raise your hand if that's the family you would say my family identifies the most with this family. We connect with them, we get them, we understand this family. So let's go back at the beginning. How many of you would say my house is Walton's Mountain? Anybody? Not even some grandparents here. I mean, <laughs> Walton's Mountain. All right. Next family. How many of you would say we're kind of like the Cleavers? Anybody? All right. I definitely chose the right subject for this message today. Right? All right. Next family, the Dukes. Anybody? All right. We got some good rednecks here this morning. Right? We've got some Dukes. <laughs> okay. Now, Barry Anna raised her hand back here. I don't know if that's uh, because she grew up in that or if that's what it is. I think it's because she grew up in that. Right? Um, next family, Heaton's. Anybody like that? I wanted to be Alex P. Keaton. He was, he was like the long conservative on, on the show. Now my family was conservative, but he on this show, he, was the, he made conservative they tried to make fun of conservatism, but he made it cool, and it kind of you know, kind of made uh, even Nixon popular on that show. Um, Keatons. anybody? Keaton's? No, oh, you guys are saving up here. All right, next family. <laughs> the Bundys. <laughs> Anybody you know, say willing to admit it, we were like the Bundys? All right, okay. Just a couple of people that were bold enough to raise their head. Um, anybody who married into a family and they were like the Bundys before you rescued your spouse? Okay, I knew we would get some, all right. <laughs> oh, marriage counseling will start Monday morning. Um, next family, Brady's. Anybody that was just Brady Bunch at your house? Okay. You few of you? Okay. And uh, I think this is last family. The Hex. Anybody like the Hex? A lot of you just are not willing to confess this morning where you're at in this process. Uh, I could have thrown out some other families in the process, but um, when, when you see these families, you're, uh, some of you are thinking, yeah, I've been there, uh, or, or we're kind of like that, or we're nothing like that. Some of you noticed some of those families had dysfunctions that were easy to see and others that were a little bit more difficult to discern, uh, dysfunctional nonetheless. And there are even some that are saying this morning, well, we use the Bible as our example. And we need to not promote anything in Hollywood, and I'll agree with that. We don't need to promote Hollywood as our standard for family, that's for sure. But but if you came this morning saying we need to pattern our lives after the families in the Bible so we can avoid all these dysfunctions, then I've got news for you. Every prominent family in the Bible had serious, crazy dysfunctions. So if you come this morning saying there is kind of some crazy dysfunctional stuff happening, then you're in good company. What about this family we just read about? You know The word dysfunctional means deviating from the norms of social behavior. Deviating the norms of what is normal. We might say, when we speak of it biblically, deviating from God's intended plan for the home. But we've also learned, if nothing else over the past three weeks, that God's story is a story of grace and redemption that meets us right where we are. And our job is to figure out how we can get our story to kind of fit into God's story and that is through experiencing grace and redemption. You know the story of Joseph. Many of you grew up hearing it in Sunday school. If you're not, let me just kind of catch you up just a little bit. The four patriarchs of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, you know, that's dysfunction for you, right? Couldn't be patient on God for the child of promise, so his wife said, well, then why don't you have an affair with my maidservant Hagar? Hagar. Well, that really made things wonderful in the Middle East, didn't it? All kinds of dysfunction. Father Abraham, the father of the faith. Isaac. Things were pretty good with Rebecca, but he had his issues. Jacob, who would become Israel, the the nation, wrestled with God. Remember, he worked hard for first wife. That one didn't work out so well. Worked hard for Rachel, but... They had their issues, had their sons, had all kinds of dysfunction. And then we come to Joseph among the sons of Jacob, the the one that we list as a patriarch, even though all of his brothers would have been considered patriarchs. Joseph, whose, whose life went from a pit, sold into slavery, taken down to Egypt, to Potiphar's house where he was The assistant to the prime, I mean, not to the prime minister, later that would come, he was assistant to really the commander-in-chief there in Egypt, to prison, and then to becoming prime minister himself. Famine hits the land, and when famine hits the land, it affects uh, as far north as Canaan. And then his brothers come, knowing that years ago they sold him into slavery, not seeking Joseph, seeking food. (laughs) and they come and he's the one who's in charge of making sure they get it crazy yes dysfunctional yes I say what family is this to have all of this dysfunction all of these problems all of these relationship breakdowns what family is this well when we go back to Jacob's household we realize that it's through this family that we have the foundation of the Jewish faith we have the foundations of Israel these brothers who were rascals were the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And one day, it's their posterity that would enter in and embrace the promised land. What can we possibly learn from families like this? Well, I'm going to tell you what we can learn from families like this. Number one, this is a hard one to grasp. It's a hard one to get our minds around, but it's that there is a sovereign purpose in our failures. When we think of our relationships, we think of what we experience in life, there is a sovereign purpose in our failures. And when I use the word sovereign, meaning that God is in control, I do not mean that God causes dysfunction. Let me be very clear on that. God's not trying to mess your life up or your family up. Not saying God causes us to function, no. But He allows and uses it and takes the worst of the circumstances we find ourselves in to accomplish the best of His purposes. Grace means that God works in us, through us, and God works in spite of us to do what He desires to do in our lives. In chapter 45 and verse 5, we read that these, this moment these brothers are worried that Joseph has revealed himself, he says, don't be worried, don't be angry with yourselves. He could have said, it's time for you to get on a long guilt trip here. He says, no, 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 don't worry, don't be angry with yourselves, because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. In chapter 50 and verse 20, he would explain to them again, after their father had died, after Jacob was dead and buried, he would explain to his brothers, you don't have to be worried now that I'm going to have all of you executed. Remember what I said? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God had a sovereign purpose in allowing all of this crazy dysfunction to take place. And He used it. He worked in spite of it. He worked through it. He worked with it and accomplished His plans and His intended purpose. And in chapter 15, verse 20, where it says God meant it, that word for meant comes from the Hebrew word for weaving, to weave something together. And it meant that God took all of the crazy circumstances and He weaved His perfect plan. He uses our mess to create his beautiful tapestries in this world and only grace can do that only grace can make something beautiful out of our mess in Romans eight twenty eight, many of you memorize it but when you come to a crisis in life you totally forget it but God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love him who are called according to his purposes it does not say that everything that happens is good But it does say that God works it together. He weaves a tapestry. He takes all things and He works it together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. See, there was no need for Joseph at this point to discuss whose fault it was that they were in this predicament. When you go back to chapter 37, you'll see a lot of the dysfunctions. And I'll just summarize the chapter a little bit. That's where we're introduced to Joseph a little bit more and his what we might call his upbringing. But Joseph, you remember, he received the coat of many colors. Joseph was the the favorite of Jacob. He was spoiled. Any of y'all just say, I admit it, I'm a spoiled brat, and it kind of messes with things sometimes, right? He was spoiled rotten. He was petted. He was overprotected. And so there was all of this resentment with his brothers because of this dysfunction in his life that he was growing up with. When he began to receive those dreams from God, he was arrogant about it. He did not take good classes in the art of diplomacy. He would not have done so well in the Republican debate the other night. He would say, I'm the greatest and you just need to bow down to me. Kind of like Trump did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) He would say, I'm the greatest, you need to bow down to me. And one day he said, I've had a dream, God has already shown you are going to bow down to me. And so he was arrogant, lacking in tactfulness. What about his brothers? They were angry. They were filled with hatred. They were wanting to destroy him. Thank God for his brother Reuben who spared his life. Said, let's just throw him in this pit. Convinced dad that he had been devoured by a beast. Horrible story. Joseph finds himself in a pit. And while the pit was a sinful action by his brothers, It's not that God designs evil for us. While the pit was a sinful choice by his brothers, it was probably good for Joseph. It was probably part of something God allowed to to build a little diplomacy, a little humility into his life. Can you imagine what might have gone through his head? At first, he might have been blaming himself. I'm stupid. Why Why did I come down here? Why did I talk to them like I was talking to them? Why, why did I pick on them? Why did I aggravate them? Why did I do all this stuff? Why was I so arrogant? Stupid, stupid, stupid. How did I get myself in this pit? We've all been there. With, with all the dysfunctions of life, we've wanted to just kind of beat ourselves up and say, how in the world did I ever let it come to this? And he's in the pit. Now listen, while Joseph was in the pit, he lost his ego, but he didn't lose his dream. That's important to remember. God will allow us to even be victimized at times so that we find ourselves in a pit and in that moment we begin to look to Him. We might lose our ego and realize we're not all that. We need the grace of God. We might lose our ego, but we don't lose our dream. We don't lose our dream. Joseph didn't lose his dream. He he continued to be a dreamer and God gave those dreams and honored those dreams. Maybe he experienced fear. What's going to happen to him? I don't see an end in sight to this. Maybe he began to learn to trust because that's all he could do because when you're in a pit, that's all you can do. Is fully rely on God. Trusting in Him. God is the master of using our problems for His purposes. God is the master of taking our situation, whatever yours may be, And I know we sit here this morning and that that some of you are saying, but pastor, you don't know my situation. You don't know how boneheaded I've been. You don't know what uh, dysfunctions are going on in my life, in my relationships, in my family, friends, school, whatever. And you're right. I don't know every situation. I know uh, enough of you in enough different situations that you would be surprised that those around you are going through very much the same thing you're going through. But while we don't know everybody's situation, I do know that there is a God who delights in loving us, revealing His plan to us, and taking us from pit to pinnacle when we lose our ego and hang on to our dream. God is the master using our problems for His purposes. The 19-year-old boy named Jordan Though he was old enough to make decisions for himself, he always wanted to honor his mother and he had begged his mother for a long time, hey, just just let me get a motorcycle. She said, no, you're not getting a motorcycle. Please let me get a motorcycle. Well, by the time he was 19 years old, arguing and and, and his mom resisting, he said, well, I'm an adult now. I'll make my own decisions. And he went and he bought him a motorcycle. And everything she feared finally happened. Jordan had an accident. His mother's name was Tracy. She found out about an accident. She went to the hospital and she gets there and his Head is injured, he's he's been bleeding, they have not cleaned him up. She's looking at a broken, bleeding, bloody mess, and she's thinking, you disobeyed. Well, you're an adult, you can make your own decisions, but you should have never gotten that motorcycle. Never should you have gotten that motorcycle. I knew this would happen. They begin to do scans to see how his head was... and and, and the, the injury to the head was doing, and when they did the first scan, they discovered that he had a brain tumor. And because of the scan, they discovered it soon enough to do an operation and remove the brain tumor. The doctor came out to the mom and said, you know, yeah, he's beat up, banged up, bloody mess. That accident saved his life. God took what was horrible, what was messy, what was dysfunction, what was argument and broken and shattered and used that to point out that there was a brain tumor and a life was saved. It seems crazy even the things you've been through. Even the things that you've been through that you know are the results of sin and destructive attacks on your life. That's being used by God. Because God's not letting go of you. Just in case you're wondering. If you're sitting here saying, well, I, I've blown it, I've blown it. God's just going to let go of me. Listen, we might let go of God. He, he's not letting go of us. It's not an excuse to live in rebellion. Well, Pastor Robbie said that if we just make a mess out of our lives, that God will take it and He will weave something beautifully together. So I'm just going to mess it up as much as I can. Remember, the Bible says you should not tempt the Lord your God. God sometimes makes beauty out of the mess by taking His children home early. It happens. I believe there is a sin unto death. And so we don't tempt God. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that are dead to sin continue to live in it? So presumption of grace is a dangerous place to be. So we have to go back to the text, this crazy dysfunctional family reunion, and say, well, what else can we learn? We need to learn that there was a sincere progression in Joseph's faith. There was a sincere progression in the faith of his father and in the faith of his brothers as well. Go back and look at the text. Look at the emotion in these first four verses. Joseph, he could no longer keep his composure in front of all the attendants. So he said, y'all just get out of here. He sent them out. No one was with him when he revealed his identity. He wept loudly. The Egyptians heard it. Pharaoh's household heard it. Man, what is wrong with Joseph? He's bawling like a baby down there. Sometimes we just need a good cry. We just need to let it all go. And he's held it back for so long and he's, he's letting it all out. Letting all of his emotion escape. He said to his brothers, I am Joseph. We might put it in modern English like this, is dad still alive? But his brothers, they're too terrified, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. There's a maturity here. There's a tactfulness here. There's a diplomacy here. There's a grace here that did not exist when Joseph was much younger. But it's there now because he had, he had progressed in, in, in a maturity in his faith. This has been building all along. He's different now. I'm Joseph, your brother, he said. I'm the one, the same one you sold into slavery to Egypt. Different man. So are his brothers. He's, he's learned to believe God. When we go back to chapter 50, as I referred to that a moment ago, we realize that Joseph never quit believing the dream that the best was yet to come. In chapter 50 and verses 24 and 25, he's explaining after his father's death that yes, our posterity is going to inherit the promised land. We are going to be the foundation of the faith. Yes, this crazy, dysfunctional, mixed up family. We're going to be the foundation for what will be God's manifest presence on this earth. He had grown through the testing of his faith. Not only had he learned from the pit and being sold into slavery, he had learned from the temptations that came his way after that. Remember, he's assistant in Potiphar's household, but because he is so bright and because he is so sharp and in tune with God, he becomes the one in charge of Potiphar's entire household in chapter 39. And just when he's... Seeming to reach that high point of life, then Potiphar's wife comes along. She's the seductress trying to seduce him away from everything God would have for him. And he had learned to resist. We're told there that he left his cloak in her hands when she took hold of him. He fled. He ran. He got away from that situation as quick as he could. He began to pass those tests of maturity. He began to show that he was going to withstand the trials and temptations that came his way. In James chapter 1, it says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Trials of all kinds. Because the testing of your faith produces something. It produces patience. James goes on to say, but let patience have its perfect work. Right? So that while we might be perfect and complete, we might grow in our faith, we might be, that word perfect, (laughs) some of you are thinking, whoa, long way. The word simply means mature that we might grow up, that we might become more mature in our faith and stand the tests that come our way. See, Joseph would later even test his brothers. He didn't even reveal himself to his brothers when you go back to the previous chapters. When he asked for Benjamin, the new favorite, and they said, well, he's back home with our father. He said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll help you guys out when you go and get your little brother and bring Benjamin down here. I want to know that he's okay. Okay. He still hasn't revealed himself, but they had said they had a younger brother. He knew the story, and he knew what kind of test he was putting them through, so they had to grow in their faith. Jacob had to grow in his faith when they went back and said, look, the, 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 the dude in charge, the guy, the man is actually what the Hebrew says, the man said he's not going to help us out until Benjamin comes. And so Jacob had to trust God with his son, and not shelter, not isolate, not do like he had done in Joseph's life. There was a sincere progression in the faith of everyone in this family. That's what we can learn from this story. Yes, crazy, dysfunctional, messed up family, but they begin to grow in their faith together and it changes everything. Everybody's got some growing up to do in this family. And I bet everybody has some growing up to do in your family. And I know everybody has some growing up to do in my family. You know, remember going up above Paducah, Kentucky and visiting a place there on the Ohio River where the ships would have to be raised and lowered to the same level the water was on each side of the dam. So they have these locks up there. And many of you have visited those locks in various places. And so the ship would come in, if it was going upriver, it would come into the lock and they would fill that lock with the water and it would raise the ship up. Then it would go into the next lock, and raise it up, raise the ship up, then it could continue on up the river. How many of you ever stopped and watched that happen before? Anybody? A good number of you have. I remember watching that happen, being mesmerized at how, man, here's, here's a simple but profound truth water cannot raise anything above its own level. <laughs> water cannot make a ship like an airplane, water cannot raise anything above its own level. And that's the way we are. We can complain about the dysfunctional relationships in our life, and we can expect or even demand more out of others, but we will never lead and raise the people around us any higher than we're willing to grow. And so we need to ask in those moments, God, if there's going to be reconciliation, if there's going to be restoration, where do I need to grow? How do you need to raise me up so that I can lift others to a higher level? We need to move from blame to spiritual growth, and that's what we see Joseph here. He's not pointing his finger, he's not blaming his brothers, but he's grown spiritually, and they have as well. Who do you want to change this morning? Kids? Your parents? Your spouse? Your classmates? Brothers and sisters like Joseph? Brothers and sisters in Christ? Good friends, if you mature, if you grow in God's grace, you will lift others. If, 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 if the water goes up, then it can lift other things to a higher level. But you have to be gracious in that process. Which moves us to the third point here. The third thing that we learn from this. That is, there's a saving provision in our forgiveness Forgiveness is a key word here. A saving provision in our forgiveness. What happens as a result of Joseph responding this way now in his newfound maturity? God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Verse 5. The Famine has been in the land these two years. There will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. But God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land To keep you alive by a great deliverance. See, God strategically used all this dysfunction, had Joseph placed in Egypt, so that Joseph would receive the dreams and the visions from God about the drought that was coming. And that he would, through great wisdom, lead Egypt to be prepared to survive for many years when the drought came. And so when there was the seven years of abundance... He put everything in place for the survival of the seven years of drought. The way the rest of his family got in on that was through the reconciliation with their brother. Coming together opened a door for God's provision for the whole family. Coming together in other relationships opens the door, opens the channel for God's blessings in your life. There still had to be Still had to be a letting go of the bitterness from the past. Oh, but pastor, you don't get it. Pastor, you don't know the hell I've endured. And you're right, I don't, but I know what Christ endured for us. I know that anything that we could experience in this life, no matter how torturous it may seem, is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ went to the cross and endured for us. You ask, why does that matter? Ephesians 4.32 Be kind one to another, tender-hearted. Have a soft heart toward one another, not a hard heart. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you, has forgiven me. God will never ask you when it comes to this whole reconnecting, reconnecting with Him, reconnecting with others in our life. God will never ask more of you than He's already given to you and will do through you, especially what He did for you on the cross. He taught us on the cross that love is selfless. Love is vulnerable. Love doesn't say, I've got to protect myself so I don't get hurt. Love says, I'm going to stick my neck out for the people I love. It focuses on the provision for others as Joseph did. When we focus on the provision for others, when we focus on the reconciliation with others, then we open up the channels from heaven to bless us. It was a wife and a husband of 15 years they having a hard time relaying their hurts and their habits, their faults, to one another. It was leading to constant arguing and fussing and fighting. The two decided they would come up with a solution. Every time one did something wrong, instead of fuss and complain, they would just write it down on a slip of paper and place it in a box they created. Two separate boxes, one for him to put slips in, complaining about her faults, and one for her to put slips of paper in complaining about his faults. And they said, listen, we will not fuss. We will not argue. When we're in the moment, when we're in the hurt, we're in the heat of the moment, we're not going to talk about these things. We'll just write a note, slip it in the fault box, and later on we'll open the fault box. And so... Many days went by and they would do that. One would do something that would just irk the other one, that would drive the other one crazy. They would see them pull out a pen and a piece of paper and they would write it down and they would walk by and stick something in that fault box. And the fault boxes began to collect. A lot of slips of paper began to kind of fill up. And they, one day where they were kind of feeling like they could communicate and like they could get along, they said, hey, let's, now it's time. Let's open these fault boxes. Let's talk about this. And so the husband allowed his wife to go first. She began, or, or the husband began to read his, his wife's faults first. She opened the fault box. He began to read. And as he took the first slip of paper, it said something like, you, you left the lid off the jelly jar. Created a sticky mess on the kitchen table. Read the next one. You left a wet towel in the bathroom floor. Took the next one. Left the cap off of the toothpaste. Took the next one. You told a joke that hurt my feelings. Took the next one. You ignored me in public. Took the next one, you hogged the remote. Took the next one, you didn't help with the kids when I needed help. Took the you yelled too loud at me. And he went through and he was preparing to discuss those things. She said, well, wait a minute, let's just get it all out. Let me read what you wrote first. And she opened her box, and every slip of the paper said the same thing. I love you. 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 Everything that she did that hurt him, that angered him, that frustrated him, those things, he responded by saying, I love you. And it healed their marriage. As she began to break down and cry and experience, and they showed one another love and grace, then they could grow in that grace together. 1 Peter 4.8 Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude. <laughs> love covers a multitude. Love covers all kinds of sin. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. I believe that Joseph would have amended the Apostle Paul by the end of his life. Had 1 Corinthians 13 already been written, love is not a feeling but an action. It bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things Joseph never quit being a dreamer and it endures all things. And it sets the context for the doors of heaven to open and the smile and favor of God to come down on our relationships. See, for three weeks, we've talked about reconnecting with God and that's got to be first. But some of us are doing our best to reconnect with God and we're like, things still aren't right because as we look around, there are others people that we have had in our life that we live with or that we work with or that we go to school with, and we say, but I can't stand that person or you don't know what they did to me. And it's not their actions that are going to destroy you, it's your bitterness that you can't let go of. And God is saying to you this morning, it's time for another reconnect, but not this time a vertical reconnect, but a horizontal reconnect with somebody in your life. If you're going to experience the fullness of God's blessings and see the windows of heaven open up in your life, it means you've got to reconnect with somebody else in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me.